You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Randall, I got a notice in the forums about somebody posting that our guest last week, John Potash, made a mistake about which TV show John Lennon guest hosted. And therefore, everything he said should be ignored. <laughs> okay. So, well, you see, it was uh, either Mike Douglas or Merv Griffin. But those of us who look at this 30, 40 years later say, what was the difference? I, I, I guess. I didn't even know that John Lennon actually hosted a talk show. You know, I did know that he had a UFO sighting, you know, over the East, East River. And that's very well documented. You can even see him talking about it on video. So... Yeah, you know, why should we dismiss uh, that simply because maybe Podash got the name of the show wrong or something like that? As I said, they, over time, they blur together. These were miscellaneous talk shows, kind of homogenized versions of what used to be The Tonight Show, but during the daytime. And, you know, I know the difference between Mike Douglas and Merv Griffin as a practical matter, it didn't matter that much. They were basically the same sort of shows. Right. Well, that's fine. I mean, I thought Podash was an interesting guest and a little bit of a, a twist from our regular fare. I guess, uh, you know, as we'll be getting into with our, our, our guest today, there's a, a lot that goes along with ufology and that gets into conspiracy theories and everything else. So, you know, having a conspiracy theory guy like John Potash on was actually kind of interesting, especially with the music, because a lot of people, it seems, who are into UFOs are also into music. And you know who, one of the people we didn't mention who died mysteriously from drugs back then was Janis Joplin. Yes, we did. I remember her name being mentioned. I don't remember him mentioning her. Okay, well, there goes my credibility, I guess. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, she was one of those who died at the age of 27. There was something about being 27 years old. Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Amy Winehouse. Great. We might have mentioned her in that context, but not in the sort of the whole, well, the CIA was out to get her as well, you know? I don't know, but it's it was just one that, uh, I was watching some YouTube videos the other day with uh, female rock performers in history, and it was like Janice. Oh, yeah. We talked a lot about Lennon and Jimi Hendrix and that, but, you know, maybe she did still only came up as a brief mention. But I liked the interview anyway, and it seemed to go by really fast. So that was good, too. We also had him come back for a half hour or so on After the Powercast. And for those of you wondering what After the Powercast is, it is a show... That can be a wrap-up show or continuation of the interview, but it's only part of the Paracast Plus you have to join to download that show at plus.theparacast.com. In any case, the basic conspiracy theory here, of course, is that because some of these rock stars were activists, they had to be shut up. And certainly one key example would be John Lennon. And the book that John Ponash wrote was Drugs and Weapons Against Us, the CIA War on Musicians and Activists. Yeah, it didn't even have anything to do with UFOs, actually. He was like, well, I don't know about UFOs. Not much about them. That seems like, you know, whenever you get talking about UFOs, somebody thinks you're wearing a tinfoil hat. (laughs) So that, uh, that brings us to today's guest, Gene. 
Exactly. He doesn't wear a tinfoil hat, I don't think. Rich Hoffman does not wear a tinfoil hat, do you? Rich? Yeah, I've, I've got my own tinfoil hat. Really? What's its shape like? Because I've got one, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll occasionally put it on when I'm uh, on some sort of like, you know, Skype uh, or something like that. I'll just throw it on and say, I think that we're getting into the tinfoil hat kind of like uh, vernacular here. So anyway, uh, it's it's just like a, almost like more like a Robin Hood hat, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. Mine's like a pyramid. So oh. I, it, it's so I sharpen my the idea is I sharpen my brain when I put it on, as well as block out the, uh, the evil mind uh, melting uh, rays that are coming in for all, from all around us. Ah, good. Well, that, that'll work. That will definitely, I'm sure, work. It's kept, uh, kept bad things away from me for a long time. So. The kids loved it at Halloween. I you know, put some big sunglasses on and a black suit and this big pyramid-shaped tinfoil hat, and they were just, wow! <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. That's good. Well, there was actually a character <laughs> who wore something that would be akin to a tinfoil hat, name of Andy Sinatra, the mystic barber, back in the 50s and 60s. And he wore this thing that I guess protected him from nasty radiation from E.T. He also cut your hair, if you wanted him to. He worked out <laughs> of a barber shop in the East New York section of Brooklyn, New York. I visited it. I did not take him up on the offer to get a haircut. You know. <laughs> he also claimed, by the way, to be a, shall we say, a distant relative of that other Sinatra. Oh, really? Okay. Well, you know, like 14th cousin or something. Really, really far off. But the key being here is I'm sure that Frank Sinatra would not even want to admit knowing him. Now, when Rich was talking with us before the show, I remarked how, you know, he's been around UFO field for, what, 52 years now. And uh, it seems almost yeah. like yesterday. And I was thinking here about people we've had for a long time, like our first guests were veterans in paranormal and UFO research, Jim Mosley and Brad Steiger, both of whom are not here. We do hope that Richard Hoffman, however, is going to be around for at least another 20, 30 years. Is that fair? I sure hope I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely on the uh, attempting to try to get there. I do a lot of exercise and eat well and all that other stuff. So hopefully I will. Well, I'm sure we can bet that you're going to at least last through this show. <laughs> Seriously, someone like you and I, we've been following this for so many years. What got you interested in UFOs? Uh, well, it's kind of an interesting story. I was late for a science class, and uh, I had a teacher that had passed around a, an assignment. The assignment was you're supposed to pick a topic that was on a list and then give a presentation on it uh, and do some homework, basically. And so I was late for the class because I was in a band class and I had to put my instrument away. And, I, and the only thing that I found left on the list was the word, uh, basically UFO. And I didn't know what that was. And so I recall going up to my teacher uh, after class and said something about, can you give me a hint? <laughs> what, what is UFO? I said, well, you've heard of flying saucers. You've heard of, you know, uh, unidentified flying objects. Maybe I said, well, I didn't hear about you know ufos before but i have heard of flying saucers and he said well go go and do the invest you know go do 
your research and uh, and you can you could probably find something on it. And so I half-heartedly did that. Uh, I think I read a couple books, you know, like the books on the, the you know something similar to like my Saturnian lover, <laughs> or my trip to Venus, uh, or something of that nature. And so, you know, I didn't treat it very seriously, and I and it resulted in me getting up and making a big fool of myself in front of a very well-astute uh, teacher who asked me a lot of questions. I didn't really answer them well, and so I got my D that day. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> not report. fair. <laughs> I got my D, and I, you know, I'm, you know, and then I, I recall going home, uh, you know, whether it was that day or the day after or something like that. That on the news they had uh, Walter Cronkite came on and was talking about a, a case called the Lonnie Zamora or the Lonnie Zamora case in, in Socorro, New Mexico. I think when I heard that case, I became like, well, wait a minute, there's something more to it than just the things that I read. You know what? Um, Let's do our break here, and then we can get into the early origins, how Rich Hoffman, after getting that D and going out and buying a tinfoil hat. No, he didn't do that. He got that (laughs) D, and he had to deal with it, as we all do when we have problems at school. Rich Hoffman, J. Randall Murphy, Gene Steinberg, you're in The Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. Gold is a better way. Imagine doing business with a company that seeks to add massive value before asking for your business. My name's Adam Barada. I'm the co-owner of Advantage Gold and the author of the national best-selling book, Gold is a Better Way. The book may not be for you, but the tens of thousands who've read it have been blown away to learn why gold is set to soar to over $10,000. We're so confident this book will change the way you think about investing. We've purchased a 1,000 copies from the publisher and are giving them to serious investors. If you have an IRA or 401k with over $100,000, we'd like to send you your copy. Just text the word BESTSELLER to 49776. That's best seller to 49776. You can buy it on Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, or text bestseller and get it for free. Text bestseller to 49776. That's bestseller to 49776. We promise to add massive value before ever asking for your business. Gold is a better way. Text bestseller to 49776. Bacon lovers, we ship free. Try our amazing bacon. No refrigeration required. Proprietary value-added packaging provides 10-year shelf life and protects the leanest, thickest, center-cut, fully-cooked bacon in America today. 
Ready to eat right from the pouch or warm and serve. Savory and delicious. Wholesale price for your everyday use. Order today at readytoeatbacon.com. Readytoeatbacon.com. Are you a stock or options trader looking for real trading strategies that you can use immediately? Hi, my name is Scott Bauer, CEO of Prosper Trading Academy, and I'm on a mission to become the number one options coach in America. I'm a former vice president at Goldman Sachs. I have over 25 years of options trading experience, and right now, I'm giving away my most famous options guide with over 20 unique options strategies that I use every day for free. You can't buy this guide anywhere. To claim your free options trading guide, simply call 855 84 9702 now and mention my name Scott Bauer and we will rush you the guide call 855-844-9702 and someone from my options team will help you get this guide in your inbox as quickly as possible call 855-844-9702 now and start learning to trade the right way simply call 855-844-9702 prosper with options stocks and options trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We're talking about Rich Hoffman's introduction to the UFO field. Go on, please. So... Bottom line was, I, I found out about this uh, case, this Lonnie Zamora case, and I, and I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, which is where Project Blue Book was. And uh, about, I think the next couple of days or uh, after that, my aunt took me to a bookstore and I just half-heartedly went over to ask the person, I said, do you have any books on UFOs? And they led me to uh, an area where there was a book uh, called The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects by Captain Edward Ruppelt, former head of Project Blue Book. And I'm thinking like, oh, that's that looks really good. Bottom line is I read that and went through it front to back in just like just short order. I was so intrigued now. And I found out that there was this project that was up the road. Well, my God, now that was to me at 13. It was just, you know, wow, I didn't. <laughs> had no idea that there was a, it was that serious. The Air Force was investigating them and the project was so close by. Well, that led me into a whole area of interest that I just had no idea about. And I became a voracious reader of everything UFO. I became every book I had to get, every book I had to get, every uh, news clipping. Uh, I had to do all that wonderful stuff. I, I was doing that on my own and I didn't really know uh, of other groups even. And I eventually learned that there was a thing called NICAP and I learned that there was a, an organization called APRO and it was a discovery thing. And then I was giving lectures uh, around the city of Dayton to astronomy clubs and to various others, even at age 15. And, and then what happened was uh, Phil Donahue heard 
about it or somebody alerted him to it. And then they had me come in and do actually a, a show on what I learned and, and that type thing. And so the next thing I know is that kind of propelled me into the, the Dayton community, if you would, as being the UFO guy, I guess. And uh, suddenly every case that I had, uh, just I, I was started to investigating cases. Uh, the police departments would have my number that they would get a hold of me. I passed them out to the police departments and uh, I became the guy that was out there. They, in fact, I had many instances where I I had the uh, police the department actually come and pick me up with the lights blurring on I mean, and the, the sounds uh, uh, on the vehicles. And we would race out to the site. And I'd get out there and 30 people are pointing up in the sky and it turned out that they were pointing to the planet Venus. But nevertheless, uh, I'd be chasing <laughs> That's UFOs. That's pretty cool, though. Did I hear this right? You, the police, a cruiser, would actually pick you up and rush you out to the, the location of a reciting report. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's that amazing. Well, it was an amazing time. I mean, there was a lot of like a lot of interest in it, and especially in Dayton. I mean, there was my God. I was a, in 1978 when I had the MUFON Symposium. We had 3,500 plus people that came. So I mean, it was huge interest in Dayton, especially with Project Blue Book. And I, I would bump into Heineck, and he would be presenting in in town and at the Dayton Engineers Club, and I'd go and go to that session, and I would hear that, and I'd hear other presentations. Uh, uh, then I would be out investigating cases and I would bump into a blue book officer who's doing the same case. And so we started comparing notes and sharing information. And uh, eventually it led into me getting up to the base and actually going to the area, you know, the Project Blue Book area and getting to know uh, uh, Hector Quintanilla. Eventually from there, it just blossomed further. Of course, I was working with Len Stringfield and he was in Cincinnati and the two of us were comparing notes. I would do shows with people from the base. Uh, we connected a lot with uh, scientists that were out there. Uh, and, and so uh, they were really taking it seriously then at the time. I mean, today, if you, you know, if I called the police to say, hey, you know, can we got a UFO sighting? Can someone come and pick me up and take me out there? I, you know, they might, I think they would just laugh it off or call, you know, say it's a misuse of the 911 service. But this sounds completely different than that. So what's happened to ufology in the meantime? Like, where did all that credibility go? For me, it's a situation where if I were to sit back and I'm just trying to give you uh, my life in terms of this whole thing, I think when Project Blue Book closed, the level of credibility was lost. And then, because now you have it, the government's not even interested in it. Near, of course, the uh, advanced sciences group had done their report on it, and and so basically there was this like shift in the culture over to the point where it was like there's nothing to it, and we can let it go. And then you have to think about it in the context of you're going through your grocery checkout, and right there on the uh, counter is the tabloids, and so the tabloids were helping to dispel it and make it into a joke. Uh, and some have indicated that that was owned by CIA-backed individual, and, and that they were helping to spread propaganda. But so the, well, the, well, they were. The, we know that. From well, it the, all shifted over to being you know. like something that lost its credibility. And over a period of time, then you've just had that loss. And 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 it's sad for me because I've gone through so many of those cultural shifts that you don't have that same 
kind of thing anymore at all. In fact, you go up to, like you said, you go up to a policeman now and say, I need to go out. <laughs> well, get on your own and uh, good luck and don't let the doors hit you on the way out. So, About what time did you really sort of notice this big shift? I guess after Blue Book closed, the Robertson panel report in 1974. Robertson was back in 1951, I believe, or 52 or something. Right. It was right. in the early 50s. So Yeah, but it wasn't released to the public until 74. Yeah, but the, I mean, I'm not worried about when somebody releases a document. My, my point to you was that, that, that there was a, a shift that was happening that was probably CIA-backed in order to make this thing what it was. I mean... Project, I mean, uh, the, the Robertson panel report to the to the general public in Dayton, Ohio, and to the police officer had no, I mean, it's a clear situation where, you know, it was basically, you know, UFOs became a joking uh, matter, and it's, you know, continued on. And now we've fragmented into so many different pieces and things like that, that they're more cultish in nature. And it's, you know, and I, and I get people all the time that I bump into now that uh, that basically look at that and say, I mean, the first thing they ask is, do you wear a tin hat? I mean, I do you know that you bring up the subject of UFOs and that's the immediate reaction. And uh, and then we've also got people here that at least where I'm at in Alabama that, you know, I'm, I'm in the Bible Belt. And so, you know, I mean, these are demons or something like that. They're not right. uh, they're not anything else that they're, they're demons and, and transports from hell. Yeah. So not, don't, you know. It's you have to be, and then I'm also working at uh, with the military. I'm I'm over here working at the Army Material Command, the corollary to the Air Force Material Command that basically had Project Blue Book in Dayton. Right. And I'm 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 working at the headquarters for it, and you know, and yeah. So I mean, there's uh, the attitudes there are, you know, it's it's like my whole cube is decorated in UFOs. I mean, uh, basically material and stuff like that. Uh, with, so they look you know, upon you as either an eccentric. Or maybe you are one of the men in black, and we don't know it. You're one of the galaxy protectors. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, they once said that about former co-host. He might be a government agent, and he nearly quit the show. We've got Rich Hoffman, who's not going to leave, because he's a great guy, and he's got lots of stories to tell. With Gene and Randall, you're in. The Paracast. for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists, get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hpextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hpextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. You 
USA Radio News with Wendy King. President Trump has threatened to close down the border with Mexico unless the country prevents migrants from entering the U.S. The statement from Customs and Border Protection reads as follows. The U.S. Border Patrol has been transparent for several months by conveying the message both publicly, internationally, and to Congress that the immigration system is broken and that they are at critical capacity levels across the southern border. Customs and Border Patrol facilities and manpower cannot support this dramatic increase in apprehensions of family units and unaccompanied children. There is no consequence that the Border Patrol can apply to this demographic under current law and court ruling. They say they hope to send up to 300 people a day back over the Mexican border by next week. Attorney General William Barr says he plans to make public in the middle of April the redacted version of the Russia probe results. This is USA Radio News. Are you tired of high cable TV rates? Sign up for Dish today and get a $500 bonus offer while supplies last. Plus, lock in your price for two years guaranteed. Call All-American Dish, your Dish-authorized retailer now. 800-610-5739. 800-610-5739. That's 800-610-5739. Offers require credit qualification, 24-month commitment, early termination fee, and auto pay. Restrictions apply. Call for details. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Many people believe they don't control their own destiny because they haven't chosen to take the first step towards the life they've always dreamed of. Let them continue just getting by while you make the choice to do something about your future. Imagine working from home, earning the income you deserve. Start small or dream big. Work part-time or full-time. You choose the pace. Just visit startlivingyoung.com. That's startlivingyoung.com. And click on the Be Your Own Boss tab. Discover Juness, a state-of-the-art global health products company that spent five years on the Inc. 5,000 fastest-growing private companies in America list. With over a billion a year in sales, they'll provide all the tools you need to thrive and succeed. And you'll be blown away by how little it takes to get started. Visit StartLivingYoung.com today and click on the Be Your Own Boss tab at the top of the page. 2019 will be the year your new life begins. Your destiny awaits at StartLivingYoung.com. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast the gold standard of paranormal radio. So you're in the belly of the beast there then, working for the military. What kind yeah. of work do you do? What do you do in your working life? I'm in the IT cybersecurity type of world. So I work with all the information systems that are in Army Material Command, and I, and I work with the different commands to be able to make sure that we're you know protected from external threats or even internal threats. So I, I, I look at that and I basically get involved heavily in all of their IT systems and uh, that's where I'm at. Oh, that's really interesting just in and of itself. Yeah, it, it's fascinating work. I mean, you start to realize just how 
data. Uh, and, well, you, you, you suddenly realize all of the things like, you know, my God, my Alexa uh, is going to be uh, used against me and how that would work. And you suddenly realize that, you know, as we keep adding IT chips to various devices, well, the same thing's happening in the army world. I mean, suddenly we have a lay that's now talking to some sort of uh, remote terminal. Well, that's right. You know, well, I mean, if you listen to Snowden talk, yeah. I mean, it's some pretty amazing stuff there. And he was one of the guys on the inside. And then uh, not just recently, too, we had Gary McKinnon, I think, came back out of the woodwork and was did an interview with one of the uh, people up here, I think. So I, I, I laugh at some of those things that are out there, because ultimately, for me, it's a situation where if somebody hacked into my computer, my government computer, and found what I had stored on it, in the way of UFO materials, <laughs> they would they would basically think in general that the army is definitely investigating UFOs and has all kinds of wild stuff. And let me show you the data. Okay, that is absolutely hilarious. That is really funny when you think about it in this context. Wow, what a great point. Uh, just uh, I hadn't really heard you talk about that on your other interview that I was listening to. People think that uh, the, the, the military staff are, are, and the people are not interested in UFOs, and, and many of them are. I mean, they have an interest in it. They just don't maybe like want to talk about it a whole lot, uh, and they don't know who to talk to. So it's best just to keep it quiet. But a lot of them have their own personal information on their computers about UFOs, and they could have every kind of like, you know, they, they can have like the Navy's got spacecraft on it and somebody hacks into it. The next thing you know is, oh, my God, look at this. The Army's doing this and that. And right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, that's essentially where the UFO projects were for the Air Force is right where you you're working. I mean, that's where Rupelt was. And he was he's the guy who created the term UFO, essentially. Then. The Air Force went on to go through a number of iterations for its own internal use, like Air Force Regulation 202, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, are they still using that regulation within the Air Force as a definition for UFOs? My point is I work in the Army, so I'm not necessarily uh, going and looking at the Navy stuff. I'm not looking at the Air Force stuff. So whether they are or aren't or whether they've updated because policies go through all kinds of changes. I mean, we're constantly changing and revising policy. So I, I don't know that that, and I can't speak for the Air Force. I can only speak for what I'm at with the Army. Does the Army have any special name for UFOs or do you just say UFOs or do they call them, you know, angels or some oh, kind of code? No. I've done my own kind of like looking around and poking, you know, and stuff like that. I'm, bottom line is that I don't even see discussions about the subject. Occasionally, if I do run across something, it's because somebody's got an article that they're commenting about. But there's just relatively no interest and nothing that I can find at all on classified and unclass systems. So, I mean, if you think that the Army is spending a lot of time with it, they aren't. And, it, and that's properly the, the, maybe the, where it's supposed to be anyway, uh, anyway because it's, it's the Army's. Uh, I, I did find once where, where somebody was referring to a case on a military installation. But that was about it. That was, I think, at Fort Rucker. Hmm, and, interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah but, it, but there's really not anything there. 
from the history books, we can go back and, you know, say, well, this sighting was at this base and this one was at that base and so on. Uh, but more recently, this advanced aerospace threat identification program thing, that was something that was with the Navy more or exactly no. where was that about? Like you, you guys were looking into that and doing some uh, analysis of the footage and stuff. So can you tell us a bit more what you've found from that? They weren't under the Navy. They were under. They were working at, for Defense Intelligence Agency. So Defense Intelligence Agency was the head of that particular program. It was first. It was called OSAP, and then it moved into being ATIP. When and then that's when Lou Lou Elizondo got on board. But um, that came about, you know, and it was like highly kept quiet. <laughs> Obviously, to the point where a lot of people didn't even know about it, even in the uh, even in the government world, uh, and so. It was well hidden and doing uh, its studies. And so the, the, the thing about it is it, 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 the vernacular of using the word threat is primarily where it's supposed to be in terms of uh, calling them potential threats. And we look at them from the standpoint that are they objects that we don't know? Yes. Uh, do we know that the other governments are also looking into them? Yes. Who wins if they get the answers? Well, that's a good question. Is there a is there a chance that we? Sh I mean, are they a threat to us? Have they shown hostility or anything of that nature? And in the context of the military, it, I mean, just having airline safety is a threat. And so, you know, you have to look at the fact that if you've got objects that seemingly are all around us in the water and in, in the air and in space then potentially we need to look at those as threats and, and to look at them that way and to learn about how they maneuver and, and how they operate and anything we can do to be able to determine that from the data. And so primarily that's what ATIP was about. It was about getting and collecting military cases, which by the way, Project Blue Book maybe did, but they scrolled it off to their, uh, and they kept it out of the public view. Uh, and they would, they, they basically do we, the same kind of thing where they'll, they'll reach out to their various labs and have labs of scientists get engaged, like, you know, the people at Foreign Technology Division that they would leverage for Project Blue Book. Well, the same thing ATIP would do here for using the, the various labs that we have, like, uh, to do some sort of an analysis or even get a contract. In this case, it was with Bigelow. So the, the bottom line is that, you know, that, the, the, the DOD has a lot of that uh, resources that they can go to uh, with legitimate scientific work. And they've got contractors that will go out and do the work and provide them the answers that they need. So that's pretty much what happens there. That would be the same way we would do it in the Army. Okay, so they this case mainly, the one that came into our attention that Elizondo brought to our attention, that was mainly... And maybe this is why I was presuming it was connected with the Navy is because it came out of the carrier group there with the Nimitz. And we've got the Navy pilots like David Fravor talking about their experience with that. So have you guys had a chance to look at those uh, videos and, and make any sense of them and or confirm or, or debunk them in any way? Or what do you think is going on with that? Okay, so... The, the situation, according to the way it's been told, is that these things have been looked already at uh, and analyzed within ATIP. 
And so they probably, like I just got through saying, that ATIP would have gone out to the different services and the smart people in the different services because they don't report to the Navy, but they can get, they're probably getting Navy cases, Air Force cases, Marine cases, and any other kind of case, you know, from the right. different services because that's, they're up above uh, that. They're the Defense Intelligence Agency. Right. Yeah. So uh, we, there could be all kinds of cases we don't know about. And this is well, only the precisely. tip of the iceberg. And I think that what they were able to do was to have all the all of the instances where they've captured data handed to them, and then they would have had them investigated and analyzed. And they, the data would have been looked at. And I believe that that's pretty much what they did. And, uh, and so they've done a, a significant amount of analysis, but we just don't get it shared with us. Anyway, uh, it's anyway, we got to do our break. Right in the middle of this discussion, more to come with Rich, Gene, and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off-the-grid mobile survival bug outhouse that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement? You bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family's survival to survivalistcamps.com. Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Jeunesse has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction and it supports memory function. Go to GCNLife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to GCNLife.com or call toll-free 844-443-6637. That's GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Know someone with a drinking or drug problem? Learn how to get sober after we share these stories. I was 35 with two beautiful children when my life and addiction started to spiral out of control. After my divorce, I went into a depression cycle and started drinking more often and 
using prescription drugs. After my second DWI and arrest, my ex-husband threatened to take our children away from me. I was 17 when I became addicted to heroin and meth. I thought I could quit on my own, but I couldn't. It hit me when I was arrested. Get sober now. Your private insurance may cover costs and we'll get you here. It's simple. Just call Elite Rehab Placement right now. Please, don't wait. Your life matters to us. 800-213-9264 Call right now before it's too late. 800-213-9264 Many people believe they don't control their own destiny. Let them continue just getting by while you make the choice to do something about your future. Imagine working from home, earning the income you deserve. Just visit startlivingyoung.com and click on the Be Your Own Boss tab. Discover Juness, a state-of-the-art global health company with over a billion a year in sales. They'll provide all the tools you need to succeed. Visit startlivingyoung.com today and click on the Be Your Own Boss tab. Your destiny awaits at startlivingyoung.com. This is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Before you go on continuing that, Rich, any of your military bosses ever come to you and say, hey, Rich, what's this all about? The answer is yes. I mean, we've, I've had a lot of people that, again, have an interest in it, and they want to get smart, much like the same thing in the uh, outside of the base. You know, I mean, uh, they're curious. They want to know more. They want to. They want to try to understand whether it's real or what. What can you tell me about it? Can you uh, can you share anything? And so, yeah, I mean, you get you get that kind of interest about it, but that's their job is not necessarily to do that kind of work and so they're just more curious about it so but yeah that there's a a lot of interest and many of them attended the the conference here and then many of them also uh come to my monthly meetings that i have here in alabama speaking of uh meetings you guys just had a a your first aapc anomalous aerospace phenomena conference i believe uh not too long ago right the Scientific Coalition for Ufology is is the group that we have, and we we're basically all like either scientists or serious researchers that have been out there for a long time. Uh, you know, I know that you, if you're up in Canada, you know probably Chris Rutkowski. He's oh, a, he's yeah. a we've Chris had him on the show several times. Good guy. Paul Kingsbury is a part of us, and I think I knew you know him. Uh, and Kevin Randall's uh, on board with us. And so we have a, a lot of researchers, but it, we also have a lot of uh, academia and scientists and the people who want to treat this subject very seriously. And we have about 12 PhDs on the group. And so I had made a comment that I would love to be able to have a conference here just outside the gates of the Redstone Arsenal, where I work over on the uh, at Army Material Command. I don't know if you know about Redstone, but it's it's the home of the defense, uh, our military, our missile defense agency, as well as all of the space and rocketry stuff. That, this is where Von Braun uh, actually built the uh, 
the, the Redstone rockets and stuff like that and tested them. So we have the Marshall Space Flight Center also on that base. We have even also the FBI that's moving here from Quantico, Virginia. So we'll have the headquarters for the FBI here. It would be a great place to have this conversation. And so I intentionally set it just outside the gates and I tried to be able to get as many people as I could. However, guess what happened? They had the government shut down and for weeks people weren't getting paid. And oh, so yeah. it coincided with the time. So it kind of like damaged me getting from a lot of that the base personnel that I was trying to get who suddenly couldn't afford even the fact that I had made the conference rate so low that they, they still couldn't do it. And so it was just ill-timed. But nevertheless, we decided. Well, we can to- blame Trump for that, I suppose. I mean, yeah. You know, for those of us who like to blame Trump, we can let's just add that one to the list. Yeah, that one went just hurt us big time, and you know we're already challenged. But anyway, uh, the bottom line was I was able to get the minimum amount of people. I think I had 16 people. I needed 100 people to even break minimum. So we ended up doing that, and then we got a, a great batch of. Scientists, uh, PhDs to come present all different kinds of interesting topics, everything from interstellar travel to propulsion systems to alien invasion uh, by uh, Travis Taylor. Uh, he came and talked. Uh, he's got like two PhDs and three master's degrees, and so he's heavily uh, educated. Uh, and he gave a talk on that. We had we looked at satellite use of satellites from the uh, in Europe. Uh, a gentleman, Philippe Aleras, came over and spoke about the uh, ES, uh, what they have, the Earth Observation Program. It's a Sentinel-2, and it's uh, part of a Copernicus project. And it would allow us to be able to do uh, satellite use of uh, UFO and UFO investigations. So he talked about that. We had then Lou Elizondo came and, and talked, and we had Hal Putoff join him. Uh, and if you know anything about those two gentlemen, they're not going to get us something that's not scientific. So the fact that they came here, I was extremely pleased with. But we had a great conversation, great presentations. And uh, now everybody said, you know, well, we need to do this again. So I'm considering doing it again and talking with my colleagues on the board to see if uh, we want to do it here. We want to do it somewhere else. But what do we want to do? That's where we're at right now. Well, that sounds fabulous. Did you... Uh managed to get some video of of the event at all so that you could maybe um i mean there's an idea if you didn't get a lot of audience live maybe you can uh attract some audience uh, via some video we did video record it and and we're in the process of now putting those up um what we had to do is to work through getting approvals from people about what the content was and did they want to put you know, like certain things up and so we're working with them and Unfortunately, we had a situation where, like, uh, when Lou was doing a question-answer period that apparently, according to him, he gave some personal information that he didn't want. So we're trying to figure out a way we can get the question and answers maybe put into some sort of text or something like that to right. allow that. We're not going to show that on video, uh, uh, just out of his concerns for privacy. So. Would you be planning on releasing these on your site as a a public service or would you be thinking of say charging a, a some sort of a price for a, for it we're, we're, it's too early for me to know that we're going to have a board meeting talking about that uh, on actually on monday to, to decide well what do we want to do i mean we're, we're, we've been very transparent if you take a look at the cases we've we've done the reports 
are completely available online. We, we just final, uh, finalized our Nimitz review, the Nimitz case analysis, and you were asking me earlier about that. Uh, we did spend about a year and a half or so on that, I think maybe even two years, of putting together that report, and it's about 270 pages long. And we've looked at the physics involved of an object that, that descends from 80,000 feet to stop immediately in 0.78 seconds at sea level. And what would be the physics involved in that? And is it possible to do it within the context of the laws of physics as we know them? And the answer is no. Uh, yeah, and- I was looking at that, and it was, uh, and that's why precisely why I was sort of asking you about if yeah. you know you could summarize some of that stuff, and and of course I guess the missing link in the in the algorithm or the the formula there would be to know what the mass of the object is, and unless we know the mass, we can't right. really determine anything else with any accuracy. So, you know, if Correct. these objects have a way of reducing their mass, well, in some way, shape, or form. Or they're super, super lightweight materials. Well, maybe they could do it. You know, they well, do we, it somehow. That we just don't know how, right? We we do know from cases that there are certain instances of landings where they leave depressions in the soil that they've actually compressed the soil. So I mean, you get an idea of that. And if you look, even in uh, there's a French case where I think an object was actually had one of its pods land on a railroad track and the railroad track was actually indented from the weight of the object so you know you can okay yeah so i mean much like what we try to do is we try to look at are there other cases that have given us information which we can use as a reference point when we did our study of Dia, the Puerto Rico homeland security case and we wrote that report that's about a 162 page report that's on our site Right. That one, you know, you get to the point where in thermal, how do you determine temperature? Well, you, you know, of of an object that's a gray color. Yeah. And, and relative you, to the background in some right. and so, specs. So we we broke it down into uh, everything from two, uh, zero to 255 values of grays, <laughs> if you would. Yeah. Then we determined from looking at the temperature of the cows that were out in the field. And we did some studies to find out what cow temperatures are. That we were able to determine that that particular color of the cows on the field matched where the object was. <laughs> so interesting. So I mean, this is where science comes in and and can dissect these kinds of data points and give us a little bit more information. And, well, that's that's fabulous. That's using yeah. critical thinking, right? And applying scientific principles to extrapolate out something that can get us closer to saying, well, yeah, we're dealing with something here that is measurable to some extent. We don't necessarily know what it is yet, but there you go. We've got some really good thinking going on there. And I absolutely love the way that uh, you're approaching ufology from a scientific perspective and a critical thinking perspective, even when you don't necessarily have, say, you know, a piece of metal or an actual craft to work with. You're still not going off the deep end and saying, oh, you know, it, it's Zeno from Zeta Reticuli and they're here in their multidimensional spaceship. Someone has something to teach you right now. Not from Zeta Reticuli, a little bit closer to home. Randall, Gene, and Rich, you're in the Paracast. (laughs) 
for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented MyPillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Interesting that I dropped that. You know, there's an item at Kevin Randall's blog, Different Perspective, talking about the Betty Hill star map that, you know, brought us the suspicion that Zeta Reticuli had something to do with it. Now there are other ideas all these years later. Just wanted to mention that. To me, it was one of the interesting presentations we had was from a Dr. Kevin Knuth that talked about the, basically the constraints on relativistic interstellar travel. And one of the things that was mentioned in his presentation was that you know, we, we look from here and we define things like constellations and, and various other kinds of things that are out there. And we see the sky from our perspective. But when you get into interstellar travel, one of the big concerns is how are you going to know how to get back? In other words, you know, we don't have those star maps for every single aspect of the, the known universe. So from a different perspective, you know, how would you begin to identify that? And then you have to consider the fact that 
that when you would come back, let's say from your short trip of of going out there, uh, and I'm talking about you know maybe months or whatever like that, if you were traveling at, at near speed of light kind of speed, if you could, then you would get back, and of course thousands of years have elapsed on Earth, and you know in fact the the planet Earth is not in the same position that it was, and the neither is the Sun, and uh, suddenly you have to deal with a whole level of other kind of planning. So the notion there is that typically, if you decide you're going to go interstellar, you become more nomadic. In other words, you would go congregate as a group if you're going to do this from a human standpoint and become like nomads, if you would. And there are people in Indonesia, you pointed out, for example, that live on little boats uh, and they just always live on the boats and that's where they are. And they have this whole nomadic group that if you would, it's like that. Well, you put it in that context, you know, now you're traveling out as a group and, you know, let's say you get to another, find another planet. Then from there, you might split out and some of you might go off to the next location. And and then again, you have the same problem with the time dilation kind of phenomenon that, that they we would expect from here on Earth. And then, you know, we got into discussion, for example, materials don't handle well in space. They break down, as we all know that, you know, the the little robots we got on Mars, that things, materials break down and have problems. And that's a challenge for us. Then you also, you know, if you think about driving at this, you know, a very fast speed in a car and someone throws a pebble in front of it, well, wouldn't what would that do the windshield? Well, subatomic particle or cosmic rays and that type of thing are out in space. And those become bullets that even if you're traveling at that speed and in fact would hit you. So we've had this kind of a conversation where we were saying like, how easy is it for us to do that? But yet here we are faced with objects that when you take a look at, for example, the, the case with the Nimitz case, you take a look at the Bethune case in 1951, you take a look at the JAL uh, 1628 aircraft in 1986, that you find that these objects and the accelerations that they had were basically at thousands of Gs. With that being the case, and if they travel these incredible speeds in these just these few cases right here, basically you're talking like accelerations ranging from 300 Gs to 2,000 Gs. And you're talking about the fact that they can hang in there and still be in one piece, if you would. That's a pretty remarkable thing, right? It's definitely saying that something's out there that's potentially has defied the laws of physics as we understand them. And we're still kind of like new to the, the game. But they're using things that are far superior to us. And we've already been told that basically an intelligent race that does make it here, probably their types of means of propulsion and things like that would be magic to us. And indeed, that's what we're seeing. And they've always been that way. I mean, back in the 1950s and Project Blue Book cases and stuff like that, you know, you had objects that were moving and they'd stop and they'd hover and then they would reverse their direction immediately. And they would and we've also got Lou Elizondo talking about the fact that they recorded clearly on radar and had the radar of objects that are moving in excess of 5,000 miles an hour. Okay, folks, we have the data. We already know that there's something that's out there doing it. And the question of whether they exist is, is already been answered. But where are they from is open to, to interpretation. Some indicate that they look like more like time machines than they are spacecraft. 
or maybe they're interdimensional. But that gets us into the speculation, no more different than the fact of string theory and, and, and everything else, which are all still very conceptual. We have challenges in science. We're not there yet, and we're always a little bit further behind. But I think we're going in the right direction, and that's where we're trying to go. One of the most important points I think that you made there, amongst all of them, which are make perfect sense, is that so we know that they're here. We know that they're real. We don't have all the answers, but we're talking about here some sort of alien craft. We're well, not did. simply talking about UAPs, which could be, well, maybe it's a, some sort of unknown bird. You know what I mean? Or some sort of a, maybe it's kind of a plasma phenomena that just, you know, pops up uh, somewhere, right? That I don't think that when we're talking about something that looks like this machine, you know, when you use the word machine, that means we're talking about something that's constructed. And well, if it wasn't constructed by us, it's got to be constructed by, well, the only alternative is something alien. Now, we don't know where they come from. We don't know, like you say, who they are, if there is even beings in them. We just know that these devices or these craft exist. I didn't use the word alien, but and, and I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is we don't even know that well enough yet. There are multiple hypotheses of where these things might come from, and none of them have been completely rejected or even proven wrong. So I'm, I'm going to caution that you use the word the ET when it could also be, again, that, and there are indications of this. If you take a look, for example, at the case like in uh, Rendlesham Forest, and if you believe that the Pedestan went up and touched it and got a whole bunch of ones and zeros, and if you look at the ones and zeros, which are binary code, they indicate that the, the craft that was there is from the future and, and basically Earth-based. They could have been here all along. In fact, they could have been here first. They, they could have basically helped build us out of genetic code. So would you call them ET or would you call them humans on the planet Earth that just are a different species? There could be robots that are, we're sending robots out. Maybe these are just like robotic kinds of surveillance kind of craft. You could also be looking at from the context that they are us from the future and coming back. And I've had people at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base who, who actually believe that, that we're scientists. We just don't know what we don't know. You know, the, the problem that I kind of like alluded to was that everybody jumps to having the answer that they have to be alien. And I'm, I'm just cautious about that. And I think that that's where we say we don't really know what these things are. When I use the word alien, I mean yeah. from beyond the boundaries and constructs of our known civilization. It's sort of like that's how biology uses the word, yeah. say, if there's some organism or something that comes from outside okay. of the environment in which it's found. So in our case, it's human civilization. If these things were part of our civilization, I think that we'd know about them. Someone would. I don't think that we're dealing with strictly classified well. military hardware here. It seems to be beyond uh, I, that. I, we're, we're saying the same thing because it's ultimately, it's not military hardware. Now, again, if you have, let's say, initially somebody from an interstellar flight came here and landed on Earth and they chose to use water, then maybe they could, we could be having a, another race, if you would, that's living underneath the water and using it as a base. They just use this and then they hop off and go and do what they want to do whatever they want to do. 
I could really buy into the uh, nomadic theory, and you make some really great points about that because you know it could explain, for example, things like the large motherships and dropping off smaller craft like reconnaissance craft. And you have you know ufologists like Stanton Friedman is kind of this is what he thinks is that's that, that's what we're dealing with is large craft that are perhaps nomadic that can travel between the stars at will. And that solves a lot of problems in terms of getting from one system to another. Let's travel here and figure out what's going on with Gene, Randall, and Rich. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Are you a stock or options trader looking for real trading strategies that you can use immediately? Hi, my name is Scott Bauer, CEO of Prosper Trading Academy, and I'm on a mission to become the number one options coach in America. I'm a former vice president at Goldman Sachs. I have over 25 years of options trading experience, and right now, I'm giving away my most famous options guide with over 20 unique options strategies that I use every day for free. You can't buy this guide anywhere. To claim your free options trading guide, simply call 855-84. 9702 now and mention my name scott bauer and we will rush you the guide call 855-844-9702 and someone from my options team will help you get this guide in your inbox as quickly as possible call 855-844-9702 now and start learning to trade the right way simply call 855-844-9702 prosper with options stocks and options trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live-underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional, off-the-grid mobile survival bug-out house that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement? You bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family's survival to survivalistcamps.com. Gold is a better way. Imagine doing business with a company that seeks to add massive value before asking for your business. My name's Adam Barada. I'm the co-owner of Advantage Gold and the author of the national best-selling book, Gold is a Better Way. The book may not be for you, but the tens of thousands who've read it have been blown away to learn why gold is set to soar to over $10,000. We're so confident this book will change the way you think about investing. We've purchased 1,000 copies from the publisher and are giving them to serious investors. If you have an IRA or 401k with over $100,000, we'd like to send you your copy. Just text the word BESTSELLER to 49776. 
That's bestseller to 49776. You can buy it on Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, or text bestseller and get it for free. Text bestseller to 49776. That's bestseller to 49776. We promise to add massive value before ever asking for your business. Gold is a better way. Text bestseller to 49776. Homemakers. Groceries by mail ships free. Try our amazing bacon. It stores in your pantry. No refrigeration required. Our value-added packaging provides a 10-year shelf life and protects the leanest, thickest, center-cut, fully-cooked bacon in America today. Ready to eat right from the pouch or warm and serve. Always price less than grocery for your everyday use. Savory and delicious. Order today at readytoeatbacon.com. Readytoeatbacon.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. In terms of all the speculation about interstellar travel, what about warp yeah. drive? Really, them looking into it. I mean, we, it's going to take a long time to figure that one out. We're, we're just in the conceptual notion. We haven't figured out what would create the Alcubier drive or something of that nature yet, and how would you get the energy? And then a great point that was made in this thing, if you allegedly put humans on board that, you know, again, how do you shield them from the radiation and various other kinds of things that are out there, uh, and even on the craft or whatever it uses for propulsion system? We are just way at the early speculative point about the fact that we could possibly do that, and but that's that's as far as it goes. Science hasn't figured out a way to make that. We're still using rocket engines and everything else. So, yeah, it's going to be a long time in coming for something like that to happen. But the cool thing about it is, is is you guys are approaching this from a real critical thinking perspective and where you can apply real science. You're making an effort to do that with people who have, who have genuine academic credentials. And I, I think this really brings a lot of credibility to ufology and can't sort of commend this effort of the Scientific Coalition for Ufology enough for doing that. It's absolutely fabulous. I mean, the way we looked at it, we came out of, well, most all of us were, I mean, not the initial board member. Uh, we're all MUFON people. And we decided, we saw that MUFON was going, uh, you know, in directions counter to where, where we wanted to go. And so uh, we left and we ended up creating our own group primarily because we were trying to bring science back into the fold where it was going MUFON. Well, um, tell us a bit more about that, because from your bio, you were with MUFON almost from its inception. And, uh, you know, can you tell us sort of uh, your experiences with MUFON and kind of what led you to become disillusioned with them, maybe in a little more specific terms? When I got started, it was, you know, Walt Andrus had it going and it, it seemed to be a very exciting and, and, you know, it was new to me. And you know, so it was kind of like new and very interesting and, and it helped give structure to the going out and looking at cases and the notion of having them investigated is very, very valuable because if you're going to collect scientific or data that you can use to understand the phenomena, then you need to have all of the IFOs eliminated. And so if you can have somebody do that, like investigative work, then it's it's important for you to do that 
And then so that you can now take a look at only the cases that are the unknowns and say, well, what can you make out about those? And so many times what we see is a lot of people that are taking things that are IFOs and trying to, to make rational deductions and have included those in the population and are, are suddenly trying to like now determine what a, how a bird flies <laughs> or, you know, or something of that nature. And so, you know, after all this, these years of doing investigative work for MUFON, um, and I was the state in Dayton when I was talking about those police, I was the state section director for Dayton, Ohio, and I, my cases were going to MUFON. I've been with them for a very long time. I, I actually signed up when they were called the Midwest UFO Network, and that's before they became the Mutual UFO Network. Uh, what I'm trying to get at is that I was with them for a very long time. And then actually what happened was the I, I was originally in, in Virginia at Fort Belvoir with the Army Material Command there, and then they relocated down here to Alabama. And I decided to, to move with them. And so I moved with them, came down here, and got into Alabama, and then found out that they were kind of like not well-structured and the person that was in charge of the state wasn't really doing a lot of, uh, I thought, good work with it. And uh, eventually I, I took over the state. And then I also took over Mississippi for a while as well as the state because we didn't, we didn't have one there. So I, I was uh, in charge of the state investigations. And so I've done a lot of investigations. I did my own investigations on a lot of cases there added to the Dayton thing. I, I've done, like I said, almost a thousand cases. Uh, and then I got pulled up at the national level. I was the deputy director of investigations for them. Uh, and I became what they call the star team manager, which basically meant that the more critical cases, we would get the best FIs out working those cases to get the best data. And then as I was continuing up there, I was, I was learning about some of the other problems that were going on. And I started to see the database wasn't sufficient uh, in terms of how it was being treated. A lot of cases, uh, you could see the bias on them. You could see that they were misidentified by e even the, the investigator that was investigating them. And you'd see their their bias, like that they, you know, they'd be talking about motherships and their reports that they put together. Well, they don't need to be talking about motherships, and they they need to be focused more on the the scientific aspects. And then you look at the the inaccuracy of of a person determining at night the distance of an object or a light. You know, you know, suddenly when you try to you know look at this from a scientific standpoint and say, can I make any of this make sense? You you ran into problems with it. I would see cases like, you know, for example, I, I witnessed what they call uh, it was a secret project that Google had called Project Loon. And one October morning, I was out looking at and I saw up in the sky something that I couldn't identify. And I thought, well, maybe this is my first encounter. It was like nine o'clock in the morning, a bright, sunny day. And uh, a light was rotating kind of like around or something like that. It would go light, dark, light, dark. Anyway, the bottom line was I got reports and I, and I started like checking into it found that it was seen going through multiple states all the way up and made it into Canada. Anyway, I tracked it in the MUFON database and I was able to see the reports and, and the descriptions and match it up. And it was going with the wind. And so I realized that it was going at a relatively snail pace with the wind and the wind pattern showed that it would head up there. And uh, determined that it might have been a balloon of some sort. And then one person got actually a very close-up photo of it. And it indeed looked like a translucent like balloon, if you would. But it was cylindrical. 
So everybody was calling it a UFO, and all the, the news media got a hold of it. It was all over the place, so all over the internet, all over Facebook as a UFO. Oh, uh, and it, later on, I was able to actually contact the, uh, I got a hold of uh, a friend of mine who actually knew one of the board members to Google. And I went and had a conversation with that individual. And then he put me in charge of the project manager for Project Loon. And then I talked with him and he told me that it was released here from Huntsville. And it was a NASA kind of like balloon that they were testing. And the idea of the, the Project Loon is to use balloons to be able to bring internet to local areas. And if you just oh, have... yeah, sure. I've heard of that. Yeah, okay. So that's what they were attempting to, to test to see whether they could use balloons in that capacity. Interesting. Well, the, the point that I'm trying to get at is that if you take a look at that particular, those particular object, those reports, when I was working with state directors telling them to say, well, we identified what it was. It's an IFO. Well, many of them didn't want to change it in their database. And so there's like, you know, well, oh. I, called, I call it an IFO. They call it a UFO. And so it's not even consistent. No, that doesn't sound very good. Well, it's not. And so then you find out, well, you know, you need to be looking at cases that go into other states. I mean, these things are not staying within a given state. They go across state lines all the time. All the time we have these announcements between segments with Gene, Rich, and Randall, you're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. USA Radio News with Wendy King. The Trump administration says it's cutting direct USA to three Central American countries. The State Department says it will suspend payments to El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Mark Jones is a political analyst at Rice University. If President Trump believes that somehow by cutting off aid, he's going to get a change in behavior by these three governments, he's sorely mistaken. If they could do more to essentially align themselves with the United States on this policy, they would. The announcement comes as the president threatens to shut down the U.S. border with Mexico. If they don't stop them, we're closing the border. They'll close it, and we'll we'll keep it closed for a long time. I'm not playing games. Attorney General William Barr says a redacted version of the Mueller report will be sent to Congress by mid-April. So far, Barr has sent a four-page summary of the report, but Democrats say they want the whole thing. This is USA Radio News. 
Now you can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go and pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at Low Cost Airlines. 800-215-5141. 800-215-5141. That's 800-215-5141. Hamilton was adopted from a rescue in 2008. He really likes to be around people. I get out my mat and I'm doing a downward dog and he's underneath. He's quite the pug about town. He gets invited to a lot of parties. He knows he's a pretty big deal. Look at this little face. I do not love him. Hamilton the pug, Instagram star and shelter pet. Amazing adoption stories start in shelters. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States and the Ad Council. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now, there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. I've probably noticed in the past five years that my eyes have gained a lot of fine lines, wrinkles, my crow's feet have gotten deeper. Wow. I was hoping for five years, but that's like what my eyes looked like ten years ago. That is really cool. Wrinkle gone? (laughs) It's easy. Just put it on your finger and go. Now I wish I had more down here because I can still see one wrinkle. It's bugging me. I am a little bit emotional. I Turning 40, I didn't think would be a big deal to me, but that looks like the me that I feel like inside instead of what, um, what I see when I look in the mirror. Try Instantly Ageless today at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Well, certainly E.T. or whatever they are, they all recognize our state boundaries or even our country boundaries, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, the, you know, bottom line there is that I saw, you know, and then we tried multiple times to be able, we have a science review board. We investigated like lots of these cases every month. We were going through hundreds and hundreds of, of reports and looking for scientific valuable ones that we could go after. And we came up with a top 10 uh, in MUFON database. Well, and then we would have scientists that would actually look and spend more time on those. And we realized that bottom line was that you need to spend a lot of time on the exceptional cases. And so the we had a situation where somebody gave a uh, gave us the awareness that there was a case in Puerto Rico in 2013, and it was uh, they shared uh, some information about that they were in touch with the pilot. The pilot wants it treated seriously uh, and doesn't want to go through any UFO organization. And But you guys are scientists or types. Would you be interested in looking at it? So bottom line was that, that we, one, little, one by one, we all came on board to be a team to look at this video that uh, we eventually got a hold of, a copy of. 
And that was the Aguadilla, Puerto Rico case in 2013. And it shows an object that came in and appears to be coming in from the water and then goes around the Rafael Hernandez airport and then kind of goes back out what looks like to the water and then goes along the edge of the water and goes underwater and then comes out and it splits into two objects, uh, two identical objects. And this is a, a Homeland Security video. And oh, by the way, it's like three minutes and 54 seconds. Right. And we thought we need to break this into individual frames and look at every pixel. And so we broke it into 7,027 frames and analyzed it every pixel and saw where it went behind a telephone pole and where it went into uh, behind some trees and some other kinds of things where we could get measurements. And uh, bottom line was because we did that and we all signed non-disclosure agreements with uh, that witness in order to get the video, when we did publish our report and we just jokingly, I mean, not jokingly, but we called ourselves the SCU at that time. We're just a little coalition of a bunch of us. And that was our like little team name, if you would. Well, anyway, uh, MUFON had heartburns with the fact that we didn't bring it up through them. And then we pointed out to them, you know, uh, when we did have the powwow, we informed them that, by the way, it was reported to uh, uh, to MUFON, and it was put in there in 2014, and this was like now 2015, and nobody had assigned the case to anybody to investigate it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's so, so the MUFON bureaucracy got their nose out of joint, and you guys had done all this excellent work, and yeah. so I can see how that might not have sat too well with you guys. Well, it didn't set well. We became the enemy, and and bottom line was that uh, we were, you know, and and I, I think that ultimately what we saw there was, uh, and then what added insult to injury is in two thousand, I think seventeen, is when they they brought in the uh, Corey Goods and all the other people to look at the secret spaceship program. Oh yeah, right. Well, okay. you know, what do you think that that would do to a group of scientists? Okay. Well, first off, it damages their credibility because they're associated with it. Secondly, it you know it just overall, it, it, we saw that there was like this departure of science going on anyway. So we just decided to leave and create our own organization, and and that's pretty much where we're going. Okay, I can start to see it now a lot more where you're coming from and why you might want to distance yourself from ufology when I hear stories like that. Uh, at the same time, I think it's fantastic what you've been doing to bring credibility to ufology for us who appreciate some critical thinking going on in the field. So that's absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, I don't get me wrong. I think there's room for the cultural element because it's a very valuable part of our, our culture. And if we can look at that from an academic perspective, maybe in the humanities, like uh, your associate Paul Kingsbury, who we've had on as a guest, that would be fabulous. But we absolutely also need this serious academic hard science aspect to it as well. Yeah. And um, thank you for recognizing that because that's precisely where we're trying to go. We're trying to establish credibility about this subject. Uh, and, you know, and we're trying to erase the 
you know, the fact that the weirdo factor or the whatever you want to call it that, that's out there and and that, no, it deserves serious attention. And it, it's it's deserved it for a very long, long time, you know? What was uh, Okay, so what was your conclusion? Can you just tell us about that for the, the Puerto Rico video then? Because we heard the skeptics say, well, you know, it's just the parallax effect that's making it look like it's traveling as fast as it is. It's really a bird. Maybe it's some kind of hunting bird. It goes under the water for a moment because hunting birds dive into the water. You know, like, what did you guys come up with in terms of an, of an explanation, if anything? Well, we present the facts as we know them in the report. And so what you'll find out there in the general world is to some group uh, or to groups, as I mentioned before, who might not do the homework and don't do the science, it's easy for them to come up and try to debunk it by saying, well, it's this or it's that. But in science, you've got to prove that we are wrong in our statements and our in our analysis and show where we made errors and if you can't then you're basically just trying to put out an alternative narrative now it's not like we didn't look at those things but okay so let's take the bird idea just for a simple okay well we measured the speed at 85 miles an hour and when it went to the water it was about 110 miles an hour Name a bird that goes 110 miles an hour, and then yeah. name, name a bird that goes underwater that would still be seen in thermal, and name a bird that comes up and splits into two. Okay? Yeah, I guess you've got a good All point, right. point so, there. And, and, follow that logic and apply that to some of the other things you're hearing. Right. And yes, I can come up and say, well, I think that this is a, a balloons or something like that, or mylar balloons. Okay, well, let me clarify to you that mylar in thermal is used to hide people's body. You cover yourself with yeah. mylar, and I can't detect you from a helicopter. Yep. So guess what? In thermal and thermal signatures, it doesn't look like the object you've got in all these 7,000 frames. Right. Okay. Yep. So until somebody can give us a little bit more science to show where we made the mistakes and then they can show their science, which they're not doing right. necessarily. Right. Um, I'm not interested in their alternative uh, hypotheses and explanations for it. Well, that's, you know, there's some people that say that, well, you know, you just don't want to listen then. But <laughs> I would have I would have to say that you make a really good point, because if you're going to use critical thinking and apply critical thinking to the problem, then you've got to take into account the other person's rationale. And if it's logical, it deals with the evidence at hand and it uses proper calculations then you're going to get something like what you're saying, say, in terms of the speed. Well, okay, some I think there's a bird or two that in a dive might get going that fast, but you know, on level flight, no. So they might say, well, your calculations for speed must be off. This is a bird that dived into the water. It picked up some prey. It came out of the water. It dropped it. There's your explanation for the two parts. So there must be something wrong with your math calculations. We them, don't then. have anything wrong with this math calculation. Oh, here we go. It is okay. perfectly accurate. There's nothing wrong with your television set. No, it's really not really. <laughs> Rich, we'll Gene, and Randall, you're in. The Paracast.
you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. The United States of Empire is a book that claims the United States is the empire of the world. George Washington had warned us against foreign wars. The United States of Empire shows that World Wars I and II left England broken. Its former colony, the U.S., had to save the empire. Was there ever a vote? Who do we fight for? The deep state began with World War I. The United States of Empire by James Dunn. Available at Amazon Books. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with Reputation Defender. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with Reputation Defender. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper, article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with Reputation Defender. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. 
Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We are controlling transmission. No. No, we don't talk about that anymore. We talk about that no more. Oh, wow. We control the vertical. We control the horizontal, right? (laughs) I've been controlling the vertical and horizontal for years, but I'm doing it upside down. (laughs) (sighs) Oh, my gosh. So keep throwing it at me here, Randall. What else do you want to know? know, What else can I explain? (laughs) Well, I I was just going to say, yeah, I'm agreeing with you because really for those people who would say, okay, if your speed calculations are off, then it's really up to them then to show where, like you're saying, your calculations by your people are in error. Exactly. It's not not sufficient for them to just say that you're, you're making a mistake. Yeah. Because it can't happen that way. Therefore, you must have done something wrong. So much of what I've got out there in the way of like some pushback is, is people that are not necessarily scientists and they're not applying the scientific method. And there's a whole bunch of people in ufology who are maybe science wannabes or <laughs> I don't even know if they had a science class. But I mean, ultimately, they're they're jumping up and down and say, oh, it's and it's so I see this all the time on social media. Somebody will post up a photo of something. And immediately you've got everybody analyzing it because that's what humans do. We look for patterns. We look for things like that. We want to speculate. And so everybody needs to have it make sense in their own sense of reality, if you would. You'll see, well, that's a bird. Oh, I know it's a plane. It's no, it's it's something else. It's this or that. No. And they'll go on these long debates about it. And none of them will actually take and do the analysis of the actual video or whatever like that. And see that the actual the image has been you know altered, or they don't even have the original information, and they and neither can the witness provide it. So, and until you get past that and you get legitimate data, uh, and that's why these like military cases and these like leaked homeland security videos are so important to us, is because these are military grade cameras, okay that have are seeing worse for the first time we're seeing objects in a thermal range and man let me tell you the spectrum is huge and we're only going on the basis of seeing things in the visible we're missing a lot of the of the boat here because we don't know what things are like in these other parts of the spectrum and the spectrum is like infinite we need to get our act together from a data standpoint and data collection standpoint in ufology to help scientists now get answers about what the heck's going on right what's going on then with that uh, this is the other one that we were talking about this tic tac ufo one you guys you know in that case we actually had people who had eyes on the object as well as this uh special type of FLIR technology that took the video as well uh, it's sci- science. We like to have the data, but I mean, the human is uh, an element where we add it into it, but it's not necessarily that credible or that helpful again, because of people and humans perception is also faulty and that type thing. But, but the fact that you have the video, the fact that you have these radar that had captured an object that went from 80 to stop 
that was encouraging, not that we had the radar, we'd like to have the radar, by the way. I think that after having Lou and, and Hal here for our conference, Hal Putoff and Lou Elizondo, that we're hoping that there's a, a relationship that we can form, and, uh, and they're actually considering that as well, where, where, whereby we can, we can become like a think tank to help them do some analysis on cases that, that might be coming out. I don't know what they've got. And, and of course, there's a show that's going to be coming out here on History Channel that's put together. It's a mini series in May. It's called The Unidentified. And that's going to be a large amount of information that Lou's going to be able to open up and share about, about the whole ATIP program, as well as some other things. We're hopeful and, and uh, that we're going to be able to have better cases like this, the ones that, that are that need a think tank to look at them. And again, we're very public about posting our results. <laughs> we're not trying, we're trying to be very transparent and that's needed. And we've been, even our report that we put together, we sent up to Congress and congressional people. We're trying to get them to pay attention to the Nimitz case, but the Nimitz case is not the only one. And there's, there's even now the potential for a much newer case that we might be getting involved in Again, they seem to be happening, or at least the, the ones, the data where they're getting data around these naval exercises. So remember we talked about water and the fact that I mentioned that they seem to be using these things that could use that, I'm speculating, but they could use it as a base. Well, right. there seems to be a lot of water cases, and that's always been statistically one of those key indicators that we've seen with objects that there's a water connection in some capacity. Right. If I remember correctly, there was uh, the the Nimitz case. It was the, there was something spotted underneath the water to begin with. That yeah, that's correct. Uh, when when Fravor first uh, came on the scene in their uh, F-18s, uh, the first thing that they observed when they got to the merge plot area where the radar merged with them and the uh, whatever this thing was, there they looked down and there was this large, almost like B seven thirty seven kind of aircraft, kind of like sized object underwater. They didn't see an object per se, but they saw the, the water bubbling up. Right, like and, uh, I think they described it as like as if it were a reef or yeah. something, but there was there was no yeah. reef there. Yeah, and yeah. then when when he took the dive down closer, that's when he realized that there was a uh, this smaller object that was uh, maybe thirteen feet uh, high and about forty six feet wide that was uh, moving around and doing this herky jerky kind of pattern out above that object. Yeah, that, and that's really amazing. Like, I take some issue with the idea that human accounts and perception are as unworthy of serious. They're they're just data points, because they're, they're just, Rado, Rado, Let me let me clarify. They're just data points, okay? But they're not held as being credible as you would think. Okay. Right. Like I know, I know. And, but there's, it depends on who you talk to and why, because when you really look at human experience, there is a lot of science behind it that explains how and why we perceive things. And generally speaking, when we perceive something like we see an object out in front of us, it's because there is an object out in front of us, hallucinations, 
of things that are imaginary are pretty rare. And so when you get someone, this is why they scramble jets. Can you get a visual on it, right? They'll pick it up on radar. We don't know it's there. You send a pilot out, I see it, you know damn well you've got something, right? It is important, but, you know, again, let me, let me come back to you. I see sometimes lights in my, in my eyes, and they're not nothing to do with anything physical. You have phenomena of all different kinds of things out there in the atmosphere. We just don't know a lot. We only learned just recently about things called sprites. And we, we're, we're starting to learn and investigate more of the atmospheric phenomena. I, I, and, and we don't have answers even to a lot of that. I'm investigating uh, out here uh, about an hour away from me with a team of, of researchers. Basically, it's called uh, Cloverdale uh, in, in Alabama. Right. And it's very much like a Hesselin, Norway, uh, in the context that there are these balls of light that seemingly maneuver and don't, they're not impacted by the wind. Uh, they fly even against the wind. Uh, they uh, appear to be uh, in the colder months. They appear to be about eight foot in diameter, and that was measured because somebody was like looking at one above a railroad track. Okay, uh, and they kind of a, a train came by, and it, and it, it kind of like magnetically or something like that attached itself to the train and went along with the train. Uh, but you have these phenomena that, that like Hesselin and Marfa lights and Brown Mountain lights and in Piedmont, Missouri in the 1973. And the phenomena over in Cloverdale has been going on since 1973 as well. And so we're out there trying to look at this and trying to determine what we can about it. We're using spectral cameras to be able to help us to break down the chemical composition. In Hesselin, they found out that it was made up of nitrogen, oxygen, iron, sulfur, and scandium. Interesting. Yeah. And so, uh, and then uh, and I talked to another researcher in Pennsylvania, and their spectral image indicated that it was nitrogen, oxygen, iron, sulfur, and yttrium. So, is there a chemical something or other that maybe illuminates itself? And that's right. what it is. And could be a natural phenomenon of some kind, it sounds yeah, like. Precisely. You know. And so, but we don't know what causes it. And science is still trying to like learn about it. And if you don't have people like me that are willing to go stand in a field all night long or whatever like that, you're not going to learn about it, right? Let's break here, guys. And then we'll learn more on the other side with Gene, Rich, Randall. You're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. 
stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal hair care system is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Back up a little bit here, Rich. Overall, yeah. of all the sightings that we hear about, read about, what percentage are really unknowns and what are conventional in some way? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to put it to you this way. I think that, you know, you'll see that uh, Project Blue Book and Special Report 14 and a number of them always came up around the 30% mark that were unknowns, you know, roughly 30%. And 70% were identifiable. And then you break it down further and you find out that, well, you know, you don't know about every classified aircraft that might be flying or experimental designed aircraft. And it might not be that people knew about sprites back then. And maybe there's just this phenomena that's out there that, and like the Cloverdale, you know, that have, that are very, maybe a natural. And that accounts for a good number of those unknowns because you're saying, well, wait a minute, here's an object that's moving around and it's glowing ball of light and it did this and it did that. So when you get down to saying, well, okay, what are the ones that we think that might be more like what you would say ET or what we would think to be alien or what would be performing like that? Then you're starting to get down into the, maybe like the 5%, five to 10% maybe. And then if you take a look at, Uh, that globally, you find out that it's extremely rare for somebody to see one of these things. In fact, the odds of you seeing it, when you compare like even in the state of Alabama, the odds of you seeing one of these really unconventional types of things is probably going to be a once in a lifetime event or you know, how many family members do you know that you've talked with and friends and how many times have you been out and seen something? And, you know, it's a very small, maybe you might have had one encounter in your life. Uh, so I'm just saying to you that the statistics are that there, when you get down to the unknowns, that there's probably extremely rare. And are they rare 
because they now are more in the water and we're just not in the water as much? Are they more populated and frequent there? Uh, we don't know that either. We can't make that determination, but we know that they're seen globally. They've always been seen globally. And we know that even before the times when we were doing uh, the kind of aircraft we've got now, these things were being seen and looking pretty advanced back, back then and doing things that were way beyond us. So whatever they are, it's a lot. there's a lot of unknowns out there and science needs to keep learning and keep focused on it. And hopefully we'll get some answers. Have you ever seen one yourself? Have you had an experience? No, it's not for the lack of trying. <laughs> when I was 13 years old and I got into this and stuff like that, I mean, I, I would go out and nightly watches around the entire sky. And, and if I did see something that I would be doing some sort of a check to see whether I'm, you know, seeing something that I, I can't account for or whatever like that, I'd see... I used to work on a golf course and I was a night water guy and boy, man, I tell you, I'd be out there all night long looking in the sky and I'd see bolides. I would see uh, meteors. I would see all kinds of aircraft coming into Wright Patterson Air Force Base with unorthodox landing lights. And, and then I told you about in 2012, when I saw that one thing, I thought I'd seen my first one and it turned out to be a balloon. So, but let me say that my aha moment has been when I investigated a case where the uh, UFOs were being seen on the night before and a farmer goes out and finds in the middle of his wheat crop field an area where there's a 70 foot in diameter circular area and there's a, an indention, I mean, like an indention in the middle of this area where the wheat is gone. You mean gone like as in no longer the there it's as opposed no to flattened down? It's no longer there. The roots are no longer there. When you go moving in any direction from the center where the depression was, and you go outward from it, you'll eventually, when you get out near the 35 foot from the center, if you would, or something like that, you'd start to see a little bit of roots that maybe are underground. Uh, and then you get a little bit further out, and you'll see a little stub of something that's out above the ground. And then you'll see a rotational pattern uh, in of the wheat, some of the wheat. And then you have puffed wheat all the way around the perimeter of that. Now, and you're measuring a microwave radiation uh, also uh, present. And you do soil analysis. And I don't know where the soil samples went because it was the state director for Ohio was the one that really was there at the scene, but that helped with the uh, soil sample stuff. Anyway, bottom line is, I, how do you explain that in rational terms? And you could try, I suppose. And so, things you might ask if there was any wheat. To, how do you know there was any wheat there to begin with if there was no uh, evidence of it when you went there? Well, I, it, <laughs> so, you know, I could affect, uh, you know, of, like was there like a picture that. of the field with uh, wheat there before? I mean, I don't know. That's well, what I would I, ask. Uh, let's put it this way go out and try and bake it and produce puffed wheat sometime for me. Yeah. Well, uh, we can do that, though. But, I mean, it wouldn't be everyday technology, but I wouldn't be surprised if the military has some kind of microwave uh, projector, you know, particle. Anyway, the bottom line is that that's pretty uh, aha moment for me. And, yeah. Uh, and that coupled with the fact that I, was give, I gave a presentation on Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to them on UFOs. 
I had people that were walking up to me in that room and telling me that their job was to go chase them and they had gun camera mounts and they would try to see if they could film them and come back and then that film was confiscated. Yeah. So uh, We've bottom, all heard of that. Like, you actually talked to people who had done that? Yeah. I mean, so I guess what I'm trying to say is you, you run it and bump up against military people. I've had an interesting military conversation. I mean, my God. But I mean, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's... I mean, I'm, they're there. <laughs> something is there. And we don't know what that something is. And so uh, I'm, I don't, I don't need right. to see, I don't need to see one. Uh, I think I in some cases it sounds like, well, okay. Like the, the kind of balls of light you were talking about, we've got guys like say Persinger who say that, well, earth lights, right. Geophysical. Yeah some sort of uh, you know geoluminescence of some kind is take is is happening with maybe who knows some kind of plasma some kind of a natural thing i don't think we could you know that's some sort of an unidentified aerial phenomena for sure but then we've got these other things that well no we're they look like craft they look like machines so i i think you know as a ufologist that's what i'm interested in you know the, uh, not that the other stuff isn't interesting too but if we can't make these machines, then, well, where are they exactly being made? And it doesn't seem like there's any evidence that they're being made locally. Uh, you would think that you know something like a mothership would take a huge uh, manufacturing facility and all kinds of materials and you know, stuff like that. I mean, so it's it's it doesn't seem reasonable, really, to propose that there's some kind of manufacturing facility here on Earth anywhere, underwater or otherwise, because the mining and the production and everything that it would take would be so massive that it just couldn't be kept from our detection anymore, certainly not for the militaries. I mean, they got stuff they can see underground now. Yeah, I mean, so again, I'll, I'll just put it to you this way, that, that the... My belief is that the phenomena has many explanations in terms of origins. I'm not satisfied with any one of them. And, and ultimately, that's why I don't jump to the ET always. And I say that the interdimensional is still a valid, valid hypothesis or that they've always been here or that, uh, or that, uh, that there are other explanations for this phenomena. We don't know. There's no license plates on the back of them. I can't see where they came <laughs> from and look and tell you that. And it's not like when you have an object up in the air for just a short time that it's giving you any indication when it zooms out at 5,000 miles per hour on radar that we have any idea where it went. Uh, in fact, I recall Heineck in the early days speculating that it was a space-time singularity. Let's stop it here. It Let's perceive the space-time singularity on the other side. We've got Rich, Gene, and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. 
It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Gold is a better way. Imagine doing business with a company that seeks to add massive value before asking for your business. My name's Adam Barada. I'm the co-owner of Advantage Gold and the author of the national best-selling book, Gold is a Better Way. The book may not be for you, but the tens of thousands who've read it have been blown away to learn why gold is set to soar to over $10,000. We're so confident this book will change the way you think about investing. We've purchased a 1,000 copies from the publisher and are giving them to serious investors. If you have an IRA or 401k with over $100,000, we'd like to send you your copy. Just text the word BESTSELLER to 49776. That's bestseller to 49776. You can buy it on Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, or text bestseller and get it for free. Text bestseller to 49776. That's bestseller to 49776. We promise to add massive value before ever asking for your business. Gold is a better way. Text bestseller to 49776. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blocket Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Pain in my neck, back, and shoulders has really gotten worse. Relief for body pain is here with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Well, the last thing I want is to take another pill, so what's so good about Sunny Bay Heating Pads? Sunny Bay Heating Pads, made by Biomed DB Design right here in the USA, come in all sizes. Our extra-large microwavable heating pad for back pain is designed to be large enough to cover your entire back. It's also perfect to wrap around your legs, knees, or shoulder and neck. But I need to know they're good quality. Of course, Sunny Bay heating pads and pillows are often an Amazon choice and it's easy and most affordable when you purchase your Sunny Bay heating pads right from our website sunshinepillows.com or call us 253-678-1361 Hey, a Sunny Bay heating pad would make a great gift, right? Yes, and they start at just $19.99 and free shipping is available. So call 253-678-1361 or shop for your Sunny Bay heating pad at sunshinepillows.com Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So, Rich, you were talking about the fact that Hynek's opinions involved a lot more than just spaceships visiting us. 
I met yeah. him a few times in yeah. the 70s, and I saw his viewpoints under development. Yes. So maybe you can tell us more about a space-time singularity. Does that mean it accidentally jumps through time or deliberate? Again, we don't know what we don't know. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to me, it's like one of those things where it, what his context of that was that it seems like the object will appear like out of nowhere. There it is. Somebody sees it. It exists for that space and in that space and in that time. And then it suddenly bounds off. You know, we can follow an airplane when it takes off from point A to point B, right, where it lands. Well, where did it go after it left the, the witness's sight? Do we have somebody else somewhere seeing it stopped now when it's tracked and now it's being reported? Where does it go when it goes away? And then you have cases out there that actually help, you know, like, you know, there was the, I think it was a French-based aircraft where they had seen and observed this was, I think Leslie Keane mentions it, but where the object basically just dissolves in front of the, the people's view. So you've got that kind of thing where they appear out of nowhere, where they kind of like, I mean, even that in the JAL case, they kind of like appeared out of nowhere and disappeared. Are we peering into something that maybe, uh, again, this is all speculation at this point, but I mean, it primarily it's just like, do they exist in for just whatever period of time? I mean, radar can sometimes track them and sometimes it can't. Obviously, a tick dropping through from 80,000 and stopping at sea level in 0.78 seconds didn't create a sonic boom, did it? And, and yet it's a very unconventional and not what we call an aerospace or aerodynamic kind of shape, which we would build. Uh, the fact that these objects can be the same shape, go underwater, in the air, and in space, when we build craft, we build them specifically for those different places, and they look quite different. We don't know the construction of them. Uh, we don't know if they can you know, use space and time and manipulate it in some way. We believe that that might be a possibility. And if that's the case, then your point about the fact that they have multiple, uh, where they were doing machining is just a moot point. Because maybe they're able to be here on this planet and still be on this planet and pop in and pop out of different time periods, if you would, or they can be anywhere. You know, they can go back to some interstellar point, and we've done the math on that and shown that the the acceleration rates and various other kinds of things could get them there in just a matter of days or months. Well, I'm kind of with the Vulcan Science Academy in that uh, time travel is logically impossible. Chris Rukowski, who I, I believe you mentioned earlier, he and I are of the opinion that the idea of interdimensional travel is there's some logical inconsistencies there, at least the way it's usually portrayed by, say, science fiction, you know, where, say, Star Trek, where they go back and forwards in time, that type of thing. And we could get into that if you wanted to. I'm not sure if the show is necessarily the best place to do that or, yeah. you know, if we should submit a paper to, you know, to the SCU on that. But the idea, though, is, is that a lot of this uh, can be explained in simpler terms, like uh, the dissolving or the seemingly instant uh, vanishing of them could be some sort of active camouflage. We're not really seeing them move at all. We're just seeing them blend into the background. They haven't gone into another dimension. We're using technology that that's almost within our grasp to explain it. 
I think that the, the problem that we're having is more of a situation where we use language to represent our descriptions. Okay. Quite often, you know, people will tell me, well, it looked like the mothership on whatever. And they think of a movie. Our descriptions of space and time are only from the basis of our understanding. And our understanding doesn't understand things like that. Because you're trying to describe something that we don't even understand yet. And we're trying to do that in terms like we are using. I'm not going to rule out anything. Okay. All things are open and available. Uh, Again, I go back to the fact that our understanding of the universe and our understanding of science is still very, very immature. And that these objects, the dissolving, you're using Earth terms and our terms to talk about it. I'm trying to use it too to convey something to you. And the problem is that it might not be any one of the things we just got through talking about. That's a possibility, but I suppose then there's a hierarchy of reasonableness in which would say that, well, you know, if there is an explanation to be had, the most obvious likely one that is possible, at least to us with what we do know, is probably more likely to be the case, or at least makes more sense than to say jump to, oh my God, they're from an alternate dimension because the object itself has seemingly vanished. What I guess I'm trying to say here is that, you know, an object that goes at at incredible speeds like this and then immediately stops and reverses itself and it doesn't break the sound barrier and it doesn't do any heating up as we know of it. How do you describe that in our present day technology? And the problem is that we can't. Yeah, I have seen one myself. And I've seen it do just that. It, when I tell people about it, I'm as much as I do believe that UFOs are a real thing, that they are some sort of alien craft, I can't tell you how they do it. I just know they do. So yeah, there must be a way to explain it. There has to be, right. because there they are doing well, it, you know. <laughs> exactly. From that, you're, you're describing the fact that you saw it, Okay. Now, let me just go one step further with it. Yeah, you saw it. Was it a real object? Was it not a real object? Can you tell me anything about how it, more characteristics about that particular object? Like, did it, did you see any like waves around it in the air? What I'm trying to tell you is the human experience is, is going to give you back what you had in the way of sensory data that you were, you were supplied with. Your brain interpreted it. Uh, and you put that in the context, and now you're trying to describe it to me. And and so our challenges are that human context, especially when you're seeing something that has no context to anything that you know of, becomes a very difficult challenge for science to tackle in the sense of, you know, well, what did you mean by this and what did you mean by that? Absolutely. I understand completely where you're coming from. And we have to ask those kinds of questions. Like I was saying before, well, human perception and visual perception, there are scientific 
principles behind that. That's why we can make prescription eyeglasses, for example. We know exactly how it works. It's not some mystery that's, that hasn't been solved. So the experience of vision is another thing. That gets into philosophy and the human experience, but yet the optics behind it and the workings of the eye and the workings of neurotransmitters and what we see, that's pretty reliable in terms of our experience. Well, we're having that lecture on human vision. More to come with Gene, <laughs> Randall, and Rich, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off the grid mobile survival bug out house that's well equipped and custom built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement, you bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family survival to survivalistcamps.com. Join me, George Norrie, in Indian Wells, California, May 31st to June 3rd for the Contact in the Desert UFO Conference, an epic weekend of exploration into ancient aliens, human origins, crop circles, and UFO sightings. More than 100 lectures, panels, workshops, and events with leading experts like Giorgio Sukalos, David Wilcock, Linda Moulton Howe, Eric Von Doniken, Doc Wallach, and so many more. Get your tickets today at contactinthedesert.com. It's time to make contact, contactinthedesert.com. USA Radio News with Wendy King. The Trump administration says it's cutting direct USAID to three Central American countries. The State Department says it will suspend payments to El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Mark Jones is a political analyst at Rice University. If President Trump believes that somehow by cutting off aid, he's going to get a change in behavior by these three governments, he's sorely mistaken. If they could do more to essentially align themselves with the United States on this policy, they would. The announcement comes as the president threatens to shut down the U.S. border with Mexico. If they don't stop them, we're closing the border. They'll close it, and we'll, we'll keep it closed for a long time. I'm not playing games. Attorney General William Barr says a redacted version of the Mueller report will be sent to Congress by mid-April. So far, Barr has sent a four-page summary of the report, but Democrats say they want the whole thing. This is USA Radio News. There's no question you need omega-3s. But which form should you take? Fish oil or krill oil? Scientists have debated this for years. Luckily, there's a new solution to satisfy everyone. It's called Krill Omega 50 Plus. It combines ultra-pure fish oil and joint soothing krill oil together in just one tiny pill. It's so powerful, it can promote the health of your heart and your arteries. And if that wasn't enough, it can also boost your joint comfort in just days. We're so sure Krill Omega Omega 50 Plus will work for you. We'll even send you a free bottle to put to the test. The debate is over. It's not fish oil or krill oil. It's both. And now it's free. Just pay $4.95 for shipping and claim your free bottle. Call now. 1-800-399-6392. 1-800-399-6392. That's 1-800-399-6392. 
If you owe money to the IRS, you need to hear this. The IRS is cracking down on those who owe back taxes. It starts with a devastating letter. And if you don't act immediately, you could find yourself having your wages garnished or have a lien placed on your property. But there's a solution. Tax 10,000 can help. Avoid enforced compliance, where these holds on your income and seizure of your home could become a nightmare that just won't end. Call 800-239-9957 now and speak to one of our experts. 800-239-9957 is the number to link you directly to a tax resolution specialist who will negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Working through the IRS Fresh Start program, all the forms will be handled for you. All you have to do is make the toll-free call. 800-239-9957. Find out if you qualify and possibly save yourself thousands of dollars, not to mention a lot of headaches. It could be the best call you've made today. That number again, 800-239-9957. The service does not provide tax settlement or legal services. We will refer you to a company that does provide such services. Often the IRS will not agree to any reduction in the amount owed. Not all taxpayers who owe more than $10,000 will qualify for a tax reduction program. Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. All I can say about that is that I've had to wear correction lenses since I was 10 years old. I never pursued LASIK. I wish it was like the 23rd century in Star Trek where they give you some eye drops and your vision becomes perfect. Wow, that would be great. I would love that. Yeah, unless you're allergic to them like Kirk. Right. I think, wasn't that what it was? He was allergic to them. He couldn't work. That's right. He was allergic to it. So he had to wear reading glasses in Star Trek to the wrath of Khan in the early scenes where he was warned by Dr. McCoy that he's going to become an old fossil if he doesn't regain his command and fight Khan. No, forget it. I wanted to hit a couple of more things. Do you ever get into researching abductions? I, I've, I've investigated abduction cases, and they're extremely very complex. Here's where I'm at on that. I've always focused on the, the UFO, and, and of course, you know, we didn't have abduction cases being reported in the very beginning when I got started with this. It was like that's not until you know you started hearing about it with uh, probably the Betty and Barney Hill case, but even before that, there were others but not as popular and not as knowledgeable about. So I have always focused on UFO. I've I've had, when I I went on that Phil Donahue show, for example, uh, next thing I know is I had people calling me, hey, we saw Bigfoot. Hey, we saw ghosts. We saw this. And I'm I'm saying, man, I can't handle everything. I'm just going to focus on UFOs. And, uh, And I chose to focus my attention on that aspect. What I do now is when I, you know, if I get something that says it's a ghost, I'll say, well, I'll go to a ghost expert. Uh, let me give you a couple names of people. Or if you have an abduction case phenomena, I think that there, I'm starting to see that there are some people that are treating it seriously and scientifically. And I'll point the cases over to those people because when you're getting into the, how the mind works and you're getting into psychology uh, and you're getting into that whole about reality uh i get a little bit I'm not, I'm not capable of doing that effectively i don't think i'm not seeing that that science if you would that has matured yet and i'm and i'm hoping that it does so that we can maybe get some more answers to it but the cases that i investigated with ufo sightings where you had beings they usually scurried around and they would hop back in the craft and the craft would take off 
they didn't sound like these people that would be coming around and abducting people and various other things. So if you look at you know UFOs and cases where UFO occupants are seen, it was kind of like all over the board as well, by the way. And then you had to question some of those. But but ultimately, I, I treat them as being like, it's not where I want to go. Uh, I want to refer those out. So if, hopefully that answers where at least where I'm coming from. Well, I think sometimes it can get to be messy to get into that because there's so many other possibilities in some cases. Obviously, right. we have controversies with regard to whether hypnotic regression can help people recover memories. Are we assuming something's an abduction when it might be something else? There's also some theories about the connection or the resemblance between a near-death experience and a UFO abduction. It's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, and even in ufology and with the UFO subject, I mean, we don't delve into, well, was the person on, I mean, really taking drugs? I mean, was it drug-induced? Was it, uh, was, do they have a medical condition? Well, let's go analyze their uh, medical condition and find out whether or not they're, they're psychotic. And people are psychotic claim to see things, too. Um, you know, and, and they have unusual beliefs and various other things. So, I mean, we're just as guilty on the UFO side as, as well, where there's, I mean, can't, a certain part of our population that's out there are, are I hate to say it, are, are, are diagnosable. And, and, you know, were you intoxicated when you were like seeing this thing? Did you, and we don't a lot of times ask those kinds of questions and we don't do that level of investigation. So those are also a part of the population of data that's been provided to us uh, that we have to consider. Well, of course, we have all the conspiracy theories with regard to abductions, like one well-known abduction researcher believes that E.T. is quietly creating a race of hybrids to silently take over. Of course, that's paranoid, too. Well, it is. And, And then... You know, there would be an example where that particular researcher, and I know who you're talking about, I've met him, uh, but I mean, but I mean, so his cases that he's looking at tend to be of that vein where maybe another person doing hypnosis doesn't get that result. And so who's minding that, you know, and uh, is hypnosis really scientific valid? And can you lead people? Sure you can. Uh, And so... You know, that's all those things are, are need to be looked at. And that's why we're I don't think we're we're capturing a lot of stuff. But how good and valuable is the stuff that we're getting? And I used to have people that would be, hey, look, sending me pictures of, you know, big golf, golf ball sized bumps on their arms and said that they were abducted. You know, OK, well. You know, yeah, I haven't seen any implants that look like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. uh, and and then okay, I've got scoop marks or marks on my body that weren't there that I before. Well, I mean, now your people are uh, doing that. Well, again, you have to have the investigators investigate it and check it out and see whether that's that. And how long and how much money do you have to go have everybody put through a medical exam and? psychological evaluations to be able to get that and where's that resources and funding going to come from well you make a really valid point there i mean okay it was one thing for say the air force back in in the 60s 
to be able to perform it. And even their program really wasn't funded hugely, but by any civilian standards, even who who among us could afford to say, okay, I'm going to get on a, a T-33 jet and fly over to an Air Force base to interview somebody over there. We just that budget for them was nothing for the average citizen who's interested in this. It's a fortune. Well, exactly. And a lot of our investigators in MUFON are people that have to go travel long distance and they're not being paid. And so, I mean, I applaud the fact that we have people that are willing to do that. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I think that that's still very much needed and we still need to do it. But, but I mean, you know what economic conditions that are and like how many how many field investigators do you know that can walk around with all the equipment that we would probably need to be able to do something like this and they don't have that money to go out and buy all these different kinds of devices and so what we were looking at prior to my departure and move on and even after that i left move on is what kind of deployable technology can we set up in hotspot areas so that we might be able to actually get data well, that's a good question. I mean, we have our former co-host, Christopher O'Brien, has yeah. what's called the, the San Luis Valley Camera Project. Yeah. And that is really, really good citizen science yes. at work there. And, yeah. uh, you know, so... There's, there's a number of those people that are out there like the Mike that are doing that. Yeah. You have uh, a, a good number of these across the globe, by the way, even in Europe that are are doing that. And I applaud that because I think that you know, we need to have something out there and available that's going to help us to detect uh, gamma ray radiation. And, and also going to have to look in those different parts of the spectrum that I talked about. And being able to weed through the fact that an aircraft went above them. And we don't want the aircraft, but we want the funny object, right? <laughs> you know, and yeah. so yeah. and so it's, it's going to take, you know, people that are serious and wanting to apply that and helping us to get data. And then analyzing the data. I mean, you, you know, that's another challenge because you've got to have something where you can go through large amounts of data and sort out, well, what caused this thing and, and can you determine something from it? So that's where we're at with science. Well, there's so much work behind that, though. Do you ever, have you ever noticed this with, it, with ufology, that there's a lot of people with some really great ideas and very few people who can put them into action? Hey, before we answer that question. Yeah. One more segment. Yeah. With Rich, Gene, and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host.
First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNLife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I helped thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. danpilla.com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Policies issued by American General Life Insurance Company, Houston, Texas. Not available in all states. For details, visit AIGdirect.com. Do you have a family? Would you like to help make sure they'll be taken care of if anything were to happen to you? If you answered yes, you probably need life insurance. Now, do you think life insurance is expensive? If you answered yes to that, too, you definitely need to give AIG Direct a call. We could find you a quarter of a million dollar policy for just $14 a month, which means you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Call us now for a free, no obligation quote. 1-800-919-5435. Since 1995, we've helped millions of people find out if they could save up to 70% on their term life insurance. See how affordably we can help you protect your family. Call AIG Direct now for your free quote. 1-800-919-5435. You could save up to 70%. That's 1-800-919-5435. 1-800-919-5435. Compliment your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. I like the cliffhangers. It's like a TV show where you have the commercials <laughs> drop in and you leave the audience in suspense. Will 
the protagonist survive until the next segment. Of course he will, because he's the star <laughs> of the show, and you're paying him $500,000 an episode. But since none of us ever see what $500,000 really means, Rich, would you answer the question? Sure. <laughs> so, so I think that, you know, yes, the answer is that I've seen a lot of people that have done some really, really good things. I think that, you know, like even like Ray Stanford, going back a, a, quite a ways, was doing this Project Starlight International. And he was attempting to use his funds to be able to do and, and build something that was going to be helpful. I think that that's where we ought to go. And I applaud people that want to take that initiative. And again, we need to be able to get good, solid data. And then it's about cooperation, by the way. So many organizations and, and ufology, if you would, have splintered off to the point where they're almost like, like little religions of themselves and, and they attack the other religion. And it's sad for me to see that splintering that's gone on. But at the same time, it's been a tough and, and challenging position for many of us that are scientists, even want to stay in it with that kind of thing. But but ultimately, it's about the fact that we're uh, on a quest to get data, and we want to get as much as we can, and we want to be able to help ufology. We want to be able to help come up with the means to be able to get those things out there. There, there are a lot of these people that are out there that are looking to be able to place, believe it or not, that have money, that are looking for something, that have an interest in this subject. And if you came along with the proper proposal, you might be able to get some of that funding. You've got a good team going there yeah. when you're looking on your website. It, it, and like what I'm getting from this is like, you're the nuts and bolts guy. You want the hard data. You want verifiable, scientifically valid material evidence to back up whatever kind of conclusions that you come up with. And, or at the very least, good solid data that can be verified and studied independently and objectively. I also have to say, it's really important. Like we had Dr. Paul Kingsbury on. He's professor of geography, does social geography. And I have to say that I really do think his work is important too, because he does bring into it the cultural aspect of the phenomena and of ufology itself, which from a larger perspective, I think is really important as well. It's maybe a softer science, but I still applaud the fact that you guys have people like that on your team. We have sociologists, psychologists, we have all those people on our team, okay? So they're a part of us. We're, we're out there trying to develop, you know, published papers and get things actually into peer-reviewed journals and, and things like that. If there is a, a sociological study or a cultural study or some aspect of that soft science, if you would, that any one of our members, or not, we call them members, but affiliates want to do, Good for them. Go for it. Knock themselves out. We're, we're not about trying to stop anybody with a good plan, but it, we are trying to apply scientific principles to it. And so it's not just out there, let's speculate about the uh, planet, whatever, Humpty Squat. And right. we, we, we're trying to get to the basis of, well, what can we learn from what we're seeing? Why do people report UFOs? If, if somebody wants to tackle that, go for it. Knock it and they can do it. I just want to qualify that we're we're not necessarily all nuts and bolts. A lot of us have a lot of different perspectives, and we bring those perspectives to the table. I good example is I'm very interested in, very intrigued, and I've always been interested in remote viewing and the capabilities that are brought on with that. 
Oh, and wow. So, I would have never so, guessed that from <laughs> from the way you were talking because well, no, that's I such mean, a I, con- I, contentious subject Yeah, based on human perception. Very interesting. Well, no, and I, I've even heard presentations by Deepak Chopra, and I've also heard you know a, a number of other people's presentations live in Princeton. I went to hear uh, Chopra. I personally have a very wide open mind to a lot of different things where a number of us are more towards the physical. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, it's when you mentioned Chopra, you're yeah. more open-minded than I am because I was like totally with you <laughs> on the hard science stuff. But Chopra is like been really criticized as being pseudoscientific, especially when he starts to talk about, you know, the quantum physics and, and it's linked to consciousness, which is just basically uh, some form of spiritual techno babble. So, you know, what I'm trying to say is that I have an, I'm open minded. OK, I'm a, I'm a bit more open minded to actually listening and looking at alternative kinds of kind of concepts and even consciousness studies that are out there. It, it, again, the human experience is playing a role here. I'm not poo pooing it. What I'm trying to say to you is, though, that that our organization is trying to focus on where you can get the best measurable results. And we have maybe a clearer sciences to be able to do measurements and analyze things than we have with the mind. <laughs> right. Well, you're taking an academic approach, which is really refreshing and it's good. There's not, I think yeah. that's, that's great. Okay. So you got other groups like this to the stars Academy thing where, okay, well, it, pop culture is, is cool in its own way. And, and, you know, it's great, you know, that Tom DeLonge is, you know, come along and, tr- and raise people's awareness maybe about the subject and so on. But I don't know that, you know, trying to form an entertainment company out of the whole thing is really the way to go. What do you think of that whole thing? All right. Well, uh, I'll tell you what I think. I think that what they're, they're doing is, is actually also quite good. Um, let me put it to you this way. Uh, when, I, when I go to UFO meetings and various other things, it's us old fogies that are sitting around and they're doing things. Do you see very many young people? The answer is no. Are we speaking to the younger people? Are we getting them to understand that there's something about that? How is appealing is it to a millennial? Uh, how do you get to that group? Well, you get through them through like entertainment. How do you get through them? You get them interested in that. How do you get them into science? Well, you do that same kind of thing. Um, you, 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 have to, you have to get them in different ways. And if you look at what TTSA is doing is they're using entertainment to be able to get funding because people will invest in it. And how, what does science need? Science needs funding. If you don't have funding, you don't, can't do science unless it's all freebie. You can't use the tools. So we've got to get over this. Let's downplay or, or cast negative aspersions against certain organizations, if you would, because they're using entertainment money if you would, to get to young people as well as getting funding in order to do science. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, Okay. So, I mean, scientists are not going to go out and get money uh, thrown at them for doing a UFO research. I mean, who's going to fund that? Exactly. And I think somebody would, if you got the evidence, you know, like if you guys, somebody brought you a piece of, of a craft that was, you know, Oh, sure. You could probably take it to, yeah. Boeing or something, and they'd go, you might never see it again, I guess. But, yeah. I mean, you know, somebody would want to look at it. So, I think you, Boeing's you, a little you, too busy fixing defective airplanes right now. Oh, hey, we're just yeah. about out of time, Rich. 
So I wanted to ask you to tell our listeners, if they want to know more about the work that you're doing, where do they go? Well, we have explorescu.org. Uh, that's our website. We're also on Facebook and we're also, uh, SCU is on uh, YouTube as well. And we've even got Twitter accounts, but you can get to that information if you go to explorescu.org. That pretty much will help you to, there's places for you to be able to converse with us, if you would. Uh, we're expanding a lot of our uh, outreach to a lot of different people uh, through different means. We're trying to also get into the scientific and academia world. We're trying to reach out to the organizations that are like that as well, because we want to get those scientists engaged in this phenomenon. So you can find us on Twitter. Look for the Paracast. Look for the Paracast on Facebook to Paracast fan clubs. Look for Paracast Plus. The best way to support the show, because we offer you the After the Paracast podcast, exclusive to Paracast Plus members. It has color commentary. It has extended interviews, surprising things. Indeed, Rich Hoffman will be back on this weekend's episode of After the Paracast. You can only get it if you subscribe to the Paracast Plus. You also get a version of this show free of the network ads. For more information, go to plus.theparacast.com. Once again, that's plus.theparacast.com. A special thank you to our guest this week, Rich Hoffman. Thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you. Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in the Paracast. <laughs> <laughs>